listen to them. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Kill you all. You don't know what death is. We belong dead. Here's Johnny. I shot him six Welcome to the premiere episode of Pods and Monsters. My name is Robert, and with me is... Inthia. Now, uh, just to get to know us a little bit, uh, Inthia and I are married, and we decided to start this podcast because we both have a love of horror and monsters, but Inthia isn't as familiar with the universal monsters and lots of the more classic monsters that I love. So we thought we would start this podcast where we would uh, basically talk about different monster movies. Uh, The premise of the show is we are going to watch a particular movie before every episode and discuss that movie. And then we're going to talk about the production history, fun facts, and it'll be a fun time. So the movie we thought we would start the podcast with is the first of the universal horror cycle, which is Dracula. I am Dracula. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. But no, this is no dream. This is Dracula. It's not the first talking horror film, but it is the first talking horror film that deals with the supernatural. Before Dracula, there were other films that were talking, like uh, The Cat Creeps and whatnot. And in those horror movies, there were supernatural elements but then by the end of the film it was always revealed to be a human person or uh real life events taking place more like almost like a scooby-doo episode you know um but dracula is the first time where audiences had to believe in the supernatural to buy this movie i had no idea have you seen dracula before uh this before we watched it uh, no, no, I really had not seen this version of Dracula. Like, I've seen, like, Mel Brooks's Dracula Dead and Loving It, which oh is n- not the best. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this version of Dracula I had never really watched. So what did you know going in about Dracula? Overall, I had absolutely no idea what this movie was about. Like, I knew Dracula was in it, but I didn't know what the conflict was in the movie. So I've seen also the Gary Oldman Dracula. And so I would assume that it would have been along the same lines as that. Um, Did you find that it was? Uh, no. Well, yes. No. Yes. 
<laughs> I really had to think about that. It's been a while since I've like actually sat down and paid attention to that movie. I haven't seen that one in a long time. That will probably do we that one. We should watch that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Add it to the list. Um, so I just wrote down some notes on what my general idea was before we watched it. What do you have? Um, so put down, I have no idea what this movie's about. I knew that Dracula is a vampire. Um, I figured that he would seduce someone, various someones. Uh-huh. Um, how the seduction played out, I wasn't 100%, but I assumed it was the hypnotic stare. Because I know that the film still that you always see of like his eyes are really lit up like there's that slit of light over his eyes right so that's what i always think of when i think of um this dracula um and you had a servant and i believe his name is renfield it was my guess that's right um and dracula was is played by bella lugosi bella lugosi yes (laughs) that's really my general off the top that i could think of and i was surprised at how limited and narrow my overall ideas were uh, about this movie. I have been obsessed with Universal Monster movies since I can remember, since I was a tiny little baby, and Dracula is one of the ones that, you know, I would watch. It wasn't up there on the same level as Frankenstein or the Wolfman for me, and as we discuss the movie, I'll get into why it's not on that level for me. Okay. But, um... It's one of the classic Universal Monster movies, so I've it's always been a part of my life. I can't imagine what you must have thought of this movie when, as a small, as a wee child. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. So this movie, it's very stagey. It is a little talky, and uh, uh, I'll get into reasons why that is. So watching the movie, really for the first time, uh, what impressions did you take away from it? So my first one, um, so, you know, movie title comes up and then it runs through the cast and it has um, who is in the movie and who do they play. And the first name that I saw when I looked down, I was like, okay, uh uh-huh, Dracula. Um, Don't know who, um, I think Mina, Lucy, uh uh-huh, sure, uh uh-huh. And then I get to Renfield and I was so excited because A, I nailed it. There's someone named Renfield in this movie. And B, I got the spelling right. So I was really excited. And do you know who Dwight Fry is? No. Dwight Fry, who played Renfield. I think Renfield kind of steals the show. I think he's, I mean, of course, Lugosi is the best part of the movie, but Renfield is the most memorable part for me. Thanks. Okay, I can see that. It's hard to explain because Lugosi's performance, while it's very surreal, it's very surreal and stage-like. Okay. but he's also just so iconic with Dracula that you just figure that's the way he is. So it almost doesn't seem like a performance. Okay. Uh, where Renfield just seems like a really great performance. Yeah, I could see that. He was a, he was really good. There were certain parts of the movies where I could see it being used or mirrored in the Gary Oldman Dracula. Yeah. Um, well, and I believe that one was played by Tom Waits. That Ren is it Renfield? Or, he, he, no, I th- thinking of. I think you're right. Um, I, it's been a long time since I've seen that one, but that sounds right. But if you remember Dracula Dead and Loving It, mm-hmm. Renfield is played by Peter McNichol. His name is Vigo? Yeah. <laughs> Vigo! <laughs> Why am I dripping with goo? <laughs> but um, that's a great performance. He looks exactly like Dwight Fry, mm-hmm. and he sounds just like Renfield. He's really good in it. My God, man, you're eating insects right from the ground. What makes you say that? Because I can see one trying to get out of your mouth. 
I don't know what you're talking about. If you insist on ranting like this, I'm going to leave. So, um... Oh, and also, with the opening titles, if you notice at the bottom, it says Carl Lemley President. They forgot to put the letter D in there, so it really says Carl Lemley President. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the opening scene has a stagecoach, or I guess a carriage... (laughs) With um, pretty much uh, a bunch of people talking in it, and uh, you find out the the general warning of it is about a Nosferatu, a vampire, and that is our introduction to Renfield. Um, he's in the back of this carriage with all these people that are locals. Correct. And um, the first lines of the movie talking about the Borgo Pass, there's a female that's reading sort of a guidebook about the Borgo Pass, which is what they're traveling through. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is actually Carla Lemley. Among the rugged peaks that frown down upon the Borgo Pass are found crumbling castles of a bygone age. Oh. Who uh, was Carl Lemley's niece. Carl Lemley founded Universal Studios, what was it, 19. 19- 15, I think they came to California. But yeah, Carla Lemley, uh, she lived at Universal Studios. Uh, Carl Lemley had a ton of his family living there at the studio. So she got to see all these fun things being made, all the monster movies. And she had bit parts. She was also a ballet dancer in Phantom of the Opera. Oh. Uh, But she is notable for having the first lines in, in, in Dracula. Oh. Okay. And she lived to be like 104 or something. She died only a couple years ago. Oh, wow. Hmm. Um, so the opening scene, um, and then they cut to a family um, praying. And uh, they're just going about their business. And everyone in the town, very tiny town, gets really excited when this coach shows up. Uh-huh. So everyone goes outside. And this one dude, who I realize now is Renfield, was like, I got to go to the um, Borgo Pass. Uh-huh. And everyone was not having that idea. They were like, Mm-mm, no, you're not going there. And he's like, no, 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 I have to go there. Who does he have to meet? Um, he says that he's meeting the um, Count Dracula coach, which then Dracula! freaks everyone out. This lady is doing the sign of the cross on herself. Um, and he says that he is meeting it at midnight. And everyone's like, no, you are not. We do not leave from here at sun after sundown. No one leaves. We stay inside. This dude's not convinced. He says he has to go and he starts to leave. So this lady gives him her cross for protection. If you must go, wear this for your mother's sake. It will protect you. Then they cut to whatever townspeople are still outside. They all look at him like he's pretty much doomed. Um, And then it just cuts to a shot of the castle. So from there, it pushes in on the castle and into a coffin that I assume is underground. Um, there's a lot of dirt around it. It looks like it's in a dungeony area. Yeah. There's some stairs going down. It's and a great set. I love that set. It's a really great set. Um, and a hand comes out of this coffin. Um, and then from there, they really threw in a possum. A possum <laughs> that just pretty much no thank you'd the whole situation. Then there's also like a giant cricket. Mm-hmm. And then later we find armadillos, which who thought armadillos live in Transylvania? I'm just I'm wondering if they just wanted to have like these kooky and zany looking animals instead of just it being like rats. They did. Uh, those animals aren't, you know, European type animals. Uh, that cricket, for instance, I was reading about that. Uh, I forgot the exact name of it, but it's a very large cricket, but it's native of Southern California. Is so. it a Jerusalem? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Those things aren't crickets. Well, that's what they're called, though. Jerusalem cricket. Are they crickets? Do they make? Are they potato bugs? I don't know. I think they bite. 
I don't know. I'm not an entomologist. There's some sort of crazy bug that lives in California, (laughs) and they threw it in there because they made the movie in California, and it looks scary. Don't go outside, so I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Um, So Dracula uh, emerges from his coffin, and so do what I assume are his wives. His yes. ladies in waiting. The censors at one point wanted no reference to them as wives, but as Dracula's sisters, because censors back then in the 30s, uh, you know, were very sensitive to lots of different subjects. But for someone to have several wives was a bit taboo. Well, I mean, so, it still is. Yes. But, some parts of the country. But, you know, you could at least mention it in a movie now. But Yeah, I guess so. Um, but they did mention it in, a, in the movie, so I'm a little confused as to what that fact is, unless the version that I'm watching now from Universal Studios, it was put back in. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they, uh, they did have cuts. For instance, there was an original ending to the original version of Dracula that was taken out for the re-release in 1936. The movie came out in 1931. Okay. And the 1936 version didn't have that ending, and the ending is supposed to be lost. We'll get into what that ending actually is later. Okay, because that ending is super lost. Um, so, wait, going back to the cricket situation. So, it's a tiny coffin with a cricket. I don't understand. Is it like a giant <laughs> cricket? Because I missed that. Cause like I a three-foot cricket? <laughs> yeah. So, I was, I mean, obviously, it's not. So, they made this tiny coffin. So is the whole idea that there are these giant creatures that live under Dracula's castle? No, I, I just think that it's just bugs and, and possums and armadillos and it's just a box. It's not like a coffin for the cricket or anything like that. I didn't think it was a coffin for the cricket, but... <laughs> no, I, I just think it was just a little box that was down there. You know, it's kind of a place where things get thrown to be lost, you know. Okay. But what I also love about that scene so much is how eerie it is because there's no dialogue and if you notice the movie doesn't have music in it yeah i mean the only music that plays is at the beginning at the beginning and at the um at the opera scene yeah Mm -hmm. uh because in the early 1930s there was a big question as to whether people would understand music in movies they thought people would be questioning where is this music coming from so early movies didn't have music because because of that reason. Oh. Um, so they agreed that you could have music at the beginning and the end of the movie. And whatever scenes have musicians in it, then that would make sense to a viewer. Uh, so that's why there's no music in the movie. Interesting. Okay. I wasn't bothered by there not being any music. So from there, it cuts to Dracula. He's now driving this midnight coach with two big black horses and then that dude who is renfield he gets dumped out of <laughs> the carriage that he's in oh you mean when he got when he's being dumped out of the carriage to get to dracula's yeah, carriage yeah like that carriage is like get out <laughs> just throws his luggage on the ground yep so from here oh one of my favorite um props slash effects is uh you get a view of the horses pulling the carriage being led by a little bat yeah, and, then, and you know, you're supposed to think that that's Dracula, you know, as a bat leading the carriage. And I thought to myself while watching it, I'm like, wouldn't that be exhausting for Dracula? Why doesn't he just sit down and relax for his trip there? Why does he have to be flying the whole way there above the horses? That's what he does. I don't think birds don't get tired of flying. I mean, they probably do get tired of flying, but I doubt that they get tired of flying down the street. I guess, but if he has a chance to just sit down, why is he turning into a bat and flying? I want to know. Okay. Well, um, that's when Renfield sees that the driver is missing. And hey, driver, we see our first full interior set 
Yeah. I, was it a set or is it matte paint? Is it? Well, the long shot is uh, part painting, uh, part set. Okay. A lot of it is a set. Okay. So here are images that I'm very familiar with. That staircase. Uh-huh. Um, an armadillo shows up. Are they a nocturnal? Why is there an armadillo here? Um, then famous lines. Uh, I am Dracula. I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. So everything that I know about Dracula pretty much happens in this scene. Uh-huh. Um, his introduction to himself, the line, the children of the night. Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. All of that, all of those things, top five Dracula moments all happen in yeah. this three minute stare scene. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite little tricks of film editing that they did was having Dracula pass through the spider web. Uh, yes, I thought that was done very well. I feel like the editor could have cut it maybe like six or seven frames earlier because you could kind of see Lugosi stopping at the web. Mm. But if they just had him like he was walking and then mm-hmm. it cut to Renfield's reaction and like he just went through it, that mm-hmm. would have been a little bit better. And um, then there's that great scene with that giant spider. Yes, um, I will say that I did note so many cobwebs. Yeah, that I was, love that. <laughs> I was like, there are just so many cobwebs. And it's like a giant spider web. And that spider web is so large that I would have thought that the spider would be a little bit bigger. Yeah, I mean, it, it was probably like a maybe one to two foot spider. It, it looked pretty huge. You think so? Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, it looked really fake, too, but that's okay. But, but that leads to maybe my favorite Dracula line. Do you remember? Mm-mm. The spider spinning his web for the unwary fly. The blood is the life, Mr. Renfield. And what is so great about that is he's describing the spider and the fly, and it plays into Renfield eating the flies and Dracula being the spider himself, and Renfield himself being the fly, and he's gonna he needs his blood to live, and it's just so great. So this is when I believe Renfield's name is actually said for the first time, and I realized this was Renfield. Yeah. I had no idea. And I said, um, oh my God, Renfield, this posh dude. Because Renfield looked super posh. I, again, didn't know the origins of Renfield. I knew his name. And I thought maybe he was just living around there. And we didn't get to see the evolution of Renfield in this movie. Well, also, I think, I don't know the, the... The Dracula, the Bram Stoker's 1992 version of Dracula Mm -hmm. uh, that well. But if I remember that version and I think the original, the book, um, it kind of switches roles where it's Jonathan Harker that comes to visit Dracula. Mm. You know, because he's the one writing Mm -hmm. the journal about Mm -hmm. everything. I don't really. Keanu Reeves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I don't really remember how Renfield plays into it so much, but I can see how you wouldn't know who it is just right off the bat, because if if. You do have memories of the other movies you watched. You might not know. Yep. So I also noted that doors are closing on their own. Dracula leads Renfield into a room that he might find more acceptable in the castle. And Dracula has a spread of food for Renfield. Um, Renfield is like super obsessed with his luggage the entire time. He talks about <laughs> his luggage almost nonstop. 
Well, um, he, he's concerned. He doesn't have it. Oh, earlier also when they were walking to the room or walking into the room, there were three bats that were hanging out in a window. Oh, yeah. The wives. I, you know, I never thought about that. You're right. It had to have been the wives. <laughs> <laughs> so the visit was, it's made very clear that no one was supposed to know about this visit and that Renfield is here with Elise for Carfax. Carfax Abbey. Thank yeah. you. And then we get another shot of just Dracula's eyes. Even though this isn't the first time we see his eyes being yeah. highlighted that way, but... Well, I mean, it happens throughout the whole movie. Yes. Sort of a POV shot from whoever uh, is looking at him. The cinematographer, Carl Freund, uh, used a sort of a, a pencil light, they called it. Okay. So it was just tiny little lights that would just highlight the eyes. Oh, it's done so well. Um, so there's one part where they're talking to each other. Actually, no, they're not talking to each other. And that's where it gets really silent and his eyes just look real wily. Um, and then I started laughing a little bit and you asked me what I was laughing about. Bill Lugosi's commitment to having his wily eyes while he's reading the lease over. Um, yeah. I, I really appreciated that. <laughs> so. Well, I, I, I kind of think about it like um, Lugosi... When playing Dracula, especially at that point with Renfield, everything is done with a purpose. And the purpose being to sort of hypnotize Renfield into going with his plans. And maybe when he's reading over the the lease, he can't lose concentration with that sort of hypnotized <laughs> thing going on. <laughs> um, so uh, they're leaving Transylvania for England because um, he's leasing the Carfax Abbey. And now, what, why is he going to England exactly? Do we know? Um, not that I picked up on. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, it's just he's going there. He's he just wants new blood, there. I guess. I guess so. So uh, they go over this paperwork and... Renfield is putting this paperwork away and uh, gets a paper cut, like a pretty intense paper cut. <laughs> and Dracula is triggered. Like he is just, that's exactly what he wanted. Right. Um, and so he goes over to help out his buddy by murder him right then and there. <laughs> and a cross falls out of Renfield's pocket and it causes Dracula to recoil but Renfield thinks that he's recoiling at the blood. I know. And he's like, it's just the paper cut. I always love that. He thinks Dracula is so scared of the sight of blood, he has to turn his back away and hide his eyes. <laughs> oh, it's nothing serious. Just a small cut from that paper clip. Oh, it's just a paper cut. Um, here I have my note about the old ass wine. Yeah. Um, because Dracula really talks about how old this wine is. This is very old wine i did like the clever play of words yeah. where he says i never drink pause wine <laughs> yeah that's one of the classic lines aren't you drinking i never drink why and then i thought this wine was gonna come into effect more which now that i'm thinking about it it might later on um but pretty much Dra dracula eagerly watches him as he drinks the wine um and he says good night uh-huh um, so he leaves. Renfield, super freaked out, still hasn't eaten the food, drank some of this wine. Renfield passing out. Do you think that's because of the wine or because of something Dracula did when he encountered him as a bat? Well, that's what I'm thinking of now. So the door opens. The wives walk in. 
just as Renfield is opening the door. And okay, this bat is so adorable. I know it's supposed to be a creepy bat and its eyes kind of glow a little bit, but it's just so cute and it just always stays in the air. It never really does much. Um, but then the, mat, the bat looks like it just kind of boops him on the face <laughs> and he passes out. But now that I'm talking about this, I think it was the wine. It might be because we we watched uh, the Spanish version also, and the bat doesn't really encounter him. Yeah. Uh, he starts to have the effects uh, that he's about to pass out uh, as soon as Dracula leaves. So maybe it was supposed to be the wine. I think it was the wine. Um, now that bat, by the way, um, the cutest. <laughs> the bat, the bat, the the Dracula bat. Apparently, it still is in existence. And it's at a museum in Los Angeles. Um, I think I don't think they keep it on display, though. It's in their archives. But there is a documentary somewhere I watched on YouTube where they pulled it out. Hmm. So, um, boop on the face. He passes out. Um, and then Dracula and the, and the wives advance on a passed out Renfield. Dracula then is like, mm-mm, ladies, back up. And um, gets them to back up off of this guy. Uh-huh. And then Dracula goes in. So I didn't know. Is he into... Because we don't see him make connection with him. Right. It fades out. Um, did he kill him? Does he just drink his blood? Um, well, I didn't know at this point. There was a thing that the heads of the studio made note that, that Dracula was to not bite a male. Only females. Um, and I wonder if that is why they didn't show it. If you remember later in the movie when Dracula becomes attached to Mina, mm-hmm. he uh, bit her, but she doesn't die. Yeah. He's just sort of, she's under his thrall. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Renfield is supposed to be also, sort of. Well, I assume so, because he's like, there's no way that he does the complete 180. Yeah, he's not, a, know, he's not a vampire. Though. And getting on that ship yeah. um, where he's just like, you know. Renfield. So now there's this like gnarly storm with this ship Uh, and Renfield is super crazy. And here we got another iconic master line, the iconic master line where he's just like yelling master at him. Master, the sun is gone. (laughs) Um, And uh, he wakes up Dracula. Um, in the cargo of the ship. So here Renfield starts screaming about wanting lives, small ones. And uh-huh. at first I thought he was saying children, um, but then he says not human. Right. Um, and you get that he wants pretty much all the rats in the world. That's mm-hmm. what he wants because that's what Dracula promised him. I don't know why this is their business transaction here is that Dracula is <laughs> going to give him a bunch of rats and that's all that he wants. Well, he, uh, I don't know. I guess he's under the thrall. He's not a vampire completely, so he still has a conscience, but he still wants to be sort of a vampire. So I guess he that's as close as he can get. He needs the blood to survive. Yeah. Um, so Dracula gets up and goes out on deck. And I had a really hard time reading his expression. Uh-huh. Um, I put down that he was not impressed by this storm or any of these guys trying <laughs> to fight the storm. Like he was just like, what is going on here? Yeah, um, I, I think he was just uh, watching and waiting for this storm to do the business for him. I suppose. So the ship arrives and everyone that is then talking, I forgot we were supposed to go to London because no one had an English accent. For, <laughs> no one has an English accent. Well, some people do, but 
There are no English accents found from any of these police people looking at the boat. Yeah. Um, so we find out that all of the crew is dead. They've all been exsanguinated. And then uh, Renfield soups crazy and you hear deranged laughter. And then there is this really great shot where they're looking down into the cargo hold at Renfield and his laughter and expression get more maniacal. <laughs> yeah just staring at the camera the camera is angled from stairs looking down and it's one of my favorite shots of the movie it's very creepy and if you notice i don't know if this was intentional or not but people have picked up on this that renfield's arms are holding onto the banisters of some stairs Uh and the shadows of his arms are found behind him and it almost makes the illusion that he has another pair of arms coming from his waist to make him look like a bug almost huh uh, if it's intentional, that's very neat. If not, it's still very neat. Yeah. Um, the cops look at him and completely say, nope. <laughs> no, no, whatever's happening here. He's mad. And then there's this woman with a real, like, is it Cockney a- accent? I don't know. The poorer English accent, I suppose. Uh-huh. Um, and she says, flower for your buttonhole. <laughs> flower for your buttonhole. Flower your buttonhole, sir. Um, and then Dracula just is like, I'm going to drink your blood and attacks her. If you notice, I noticed this a few times. Uh, most of the time, Dracula doesn't even open his mouth as he's approaching his victims, uh, which is, you know, one of the things that is iconic with Dracula are fangs. And he doesn't have fangs. In no, this movie. he doesn't have fangs. And I actually noticed that more in the Spanish version, because uh-huh. that one does open his mouth a lot more. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, it's just teeth. There's no fangs. Um, so Dracula attacks her. And then I noted uh, dapper Dracula walking around, going to uh, a symphony. Um, and the right. police find this flower peddler. And it's a whole ruckus. And he's just casually walking um, into the theater. So he goes in and he hands a ticket to this woman. I assume he hypnotizes her from right then because mm-hmm. she looks at him very uneasily. By the way, that whole set is the Paris Opera House set from uh, Phantom of the Opera. Oh, wow. Okay. Which existed for nearly 100 years, but was uh, demolished, unfortunately, a few years ago, stage 28 Mm -hmm. at Universal Studios. So here we're introduced to Dr. Seward, and um, that's Dracula's new neighbor, or Dracula is his new neighbor. Um, and yeah, then, the, the land he bought, Carfax Abbey, is right next door to a mental institution. Yeah, how convenient. <laughs> Which is where Renfield is, we find out later on. Uh-huh. Um, but we also get introduced to Mina, Lucy, and John, whose name I could not remember. Jonathan Hawke. And then... Um, Played by David Manners. They, they have a whole talk. Uh, Lucy is... You get a sense that she's just a little bit um, less reserved than Mina and she ends up um, doing a toast slash joke about death Um, and here comes Dracula with some real dark stuff and kind of freaks freaks out everyone Um, and then at the end you kind of see the little hypnotic stare and he's looking at Lucy like he's gonna really just go to town on her yeah and that scene has another one of the most iconic lines to die to be really dead that must be glorious. Why, Count Dracula, 
There are far worse things waiting man than death. Apparently, that was a line that the uh, head of the studio wanted cut. Why? I don't know. He uh, he had the script and, you know, asked for all these different things to be done. And in those notes, that was to be deleted, but it was left in. So I guess the director uh, fought him on it or somehow it just ended up staying in. Okay. I think it's very appropriate. So um, from there, you go into a shot of, I believe it's Lucy's bedroom. Um, and you hear um, Nina and she is mimicking Dracula's accent and cadence. It's- Reminds me of the broken battlements of my own castle in Transylvania. Oh, Lucy, you're so romantic. But Lucy is not into it at all. She's all about Dracula. That's she's just enamored, probably hypnotized. <laughs> <laughs> she might be. I just think she's uh, she's a big fan girl. I think he's Horrific. seduced her. I think he did his well, little he did, yes. eyebrow. Um, and so, um, Mina leaves and, uh, Lucy's all like, I'm going to open this window, which already you open a window in this movie, nothing good happens from it. So I was like, okay, she's opening a window. So now Dracula is going to have to be able have to get her to invite him in. Where did that come from? When did this um, vampire being invited into something? You know, the first I've heard about that was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, actually. Um, really? Yeah, because, uh. My experience with vampire movies is mostly uh, the Universal movies, and that's never been one of the things that a vampire needs to be invited in. Uh, uh, but I wasn't guess, it in Lost Boys? I was just going to say that. I believe it's in Lost Boys also. So it, it came from somewhere. I I don't think it was in the book. We should look it but up. I'm not positive. So she opens the window, and at the same time, Dracula is out for a walk, and then uh, he does his little bat thing. And the little bat goes up to the window, um, and then he f- and turns back into Dracula. I have to say, I enjoy more in bat form. Um, How and dare you! <laughs> he creeps in, and he does that slow walk with the hand thing, and yep. he creeps up to her, and her neck is all exposed. Um, there were some weird continuity things, I believe, wasn't it? Because um, she was in bed, she had a book, and then she didn't have a book. Uh, well, I'm wondering. Uh, I think when. Dracula was standing outside of her window looking at her. He had his top hat. Then when he appeared in there, he didn't have his top hat. hat. What did he do? Did he place it on the sidewalk and got it later? I don't know. Could you imagine a tiny bat with a little tiny top hat? I'm like, oh, it's Dracula. (laughs) It's a fancy Dracula. And then Lucy dies. There's like a medical examination and they keep pumping blood into her, but that blood is going nowhere. She has lost just an unnatural loss of blood. Yeah, and let me tell you, I was never sure how that worked, how someone dies or turns into a vampire in the Dracula uh, book or movies. But doing some research, they say in the book that Dracula, you know, bites his victim, takes, takes their blood. Yeah. If they die during the daytime, they die for good. If they die at nighttime, they turn into a vampire. Well, they said that in the movie. Yes, and I noticed they did say it in the movie, but it's sort of subtle where you kind of have to think about it as to exactly what they're saying. It it didn't hit you over the head as to that's the way you become a vampire, I thought. Oh, okay. Well, I got that because they're having, well, well, eventually, not at this point. Right. I guess you're you're just smarter than me. I guess so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Play this audio at 
my grave site. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> and then from there, we have a shot of people outside. And it just looks real peaceful. People being walked around. People enjoying outside. And I'm like, is this a hospital? Maybe people are recovering. And I'm like, nope. People start getting real crazy towards the end of that <laughs> shot. Um, and then Martin. It's a loony bin. It is. And we um, get introduced to Martin, who throws a spider out a window. <laughs> no, Martin. Martin, don't. Don't throw my spider away from me. Oh, Martin. And so um, here's Renfield. Renfield is here. And um, turns out that he was trying to eat the spider. Yeah, that's uh, one of my favorite Renfield lines again. Um, Martin says, like, oh, I thought you ordered flies. He's like, flies? Poor puny things. Who wants to eat flies? You do, ya loony. Not when I can get nice fat spiders. <laughs> Martin. I thought he was going to go a little Una O'Connor <laughs> on us. Here we get introduced to Martin. Um, and then from this little scene, um, I put down scientists. And, and so he's looking at these little vials and he mixes two liquids together. And then they start speaking a bunch of Latin. And I heard the word sanguine a lot. So I was like, oh, there's blood involved in this. And then um, this guy just looks at it. They talk a little bit in Latin, and then he's like, he says something, 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 dealing with the undead. And I was like, this guy knows a lot going on. Um, he throws out the word vampire and reveals that the blood being tested belongs to Renfield and says that uh, Renfield's been influenced, that his blood has some business going on, that he's only seen with vampires. And then the big reveal is this guy's Van Helsing. I completely forgot that Van Helsing wasn't only Hugh Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> no, here we have Edward Van Sloan. <laughs> um, I honestly, I hate that that movie is like my only frame of reference. What about Mel Brooks and Dracula Dead and Loving It? I don't, I know, but I don't remember that too well. Oh, Count Dracula, allow me to introduce Professor Abraham Van Helsing of London University. He is a doctor of rare diseases as well as theology and philosophy. And gynecology. Oh, I didn't know you had your hand in that, too. There is a good Van Helsing in Monster Squad, though. Remember, at the end, he stakes Dracula and gives the kid the thumbs up. <laughs> we'll have to watch that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, from here, it's revealed that Renfield often escapes, and um, he's gone for hours, which I find hysterical. Um, so they, uh, they bring Renfield in and he, um, Van Helsing tries to examine him, which agitates Renfield a lot. And he says that, um, he's worried about giving, um, Miss Mina bad dreams when she hears the cries. And up to this point, I'd completely forgotten that basically she lives in a house on the same grounds who has like a sanitarium and their house is on the same grounds <laughs> and their daughter is living there. So from there, you hear a wolf cry in the background. Um, this is not the first time, but everyone talks about the wolves um, and saying that Renfield thinks that they're wolves, but everyone's like, there's no wolves in this area. And from there, you find out that Martin is a big jerk. And I put down that he'll probably die. <laughs> I was wrong. And then I put down Van Helsing holds up flowers um, that upset Renfield. Turns out they're wolf's bane. 
Wolfbane. Um, so it's a vampire protection. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, not against werewolves. I mean, they are were. It is for werewolves also. I mean, Dracula himself. Uh, I guess he's not technically a werewolf, but he could turn into a wolf. But in the Wolfman, uh, Wolfbane plays a part. Oh, does it? Mm-hmm. Okay. In fact, what's funny is uh, Lon Chaney Jr., who plays the Wolfman, is bitten by a werewolf mm-hmm. played by Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi and Wolfbane don't get along. I guess. I guess not. So Renfield warns about Miss Mina as he's being taken away. And then Dracula goes to visit Renfield and they talk telepathically. And it like upsets him, upsets Renfield. And then he cut to Dracula as a little, I said, um, bat. he bats into a room, into Mina's room. The next day, <laughs> cuts to Mina. She's wearing a scarf. Uh, she's talking to John. She's talking about um, a dream that she had with wolves and fog and red eyes and a face. And then she woke up feeling really weak the next day. Um, she's talking to John and John is like, he kind of dismisses it. He's like, today's going to be a good day. We're going to only think happy thoughts. Um, but he's worried. And then uh, Van Helsing shows up and he asks her some questions. And then is like, let me look at your neck and takes her scarf off. And here... Really great timing and line delivery. He tells her what the little marks are on her neck, and she says, what could have caused them? And the maid announces, Count Dracula, and he's standing right there. How long have you had those little marks? Marks? Since the morning after the dream. What could have caused them, Professor? Count Dracula. Immediately, he creeps everyone out, especially (laughs) Mina. So Van Helsing and Dracula are introduced, even though um, Dracula knows all about him. From the wilds of Transylvania. And then he talks to Mina and says that he really hopes that any stories that he's told her have not um, haunted her dreams, um, which really kind of makes everyone mad because they're like, you've been talking to her? And uh, he's like, yes. Um, In this moment, um, Van Helsing catches that Dracula does not have a reflection. And um, he confronts him about this. And that's when (laughs) Dracula smacks that mirror out of his hand. (laughs) A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dr. Seward, my humble apology. I dislike mirrors. I will say I kind of like the Spanish version a little bit better because he's just so dramatic. Um, and he uses a little cane to smash it to he pieces. He does. He really just didn't need to do that. But um, he was a little extra. Um, so he smacks it out of his hand. Dracula leaves. And John follows him out, kind of, and sees this giant wolf. What's that? Running across the lawn. Looks like a huge dog. Or a wolf. And, <laughs> and, and we don't see it. It's uh, no. He's just talking about it. Uh, partly uh, because of budget reasons, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, from here, uh, Van Helsing gives, <laughs> breaks it down for the dudes. Uh, they don't believe him. Uh, he tells them everything and anything about uh, vampires and Dracula and whatnot. While Van Helsing is doing this breakdown... Dracula visits Mina, and Renfield is creeping around. Dracula bats at Renfield, <laughs> so he's like a bat, and like gets to Renfield, um, or tries to. 
Um, and it's probably one of my favorite moments. It's um, I feel like John's very oblivious to this whole bat situation um, uh. and just starts waving his hands away and is trying to shoo this bat away. <laughs> and every time John encounters a bat, his immediate reaction is to try to shoo it away. Watch and, out, Mina. It'll get in your hair. Yes, that was going to be my next comment. <laughs> he talks about the hair. Renfield, in the meantime, um, is like yelling at the bat and calls it master and... Van Helsing is like, how do you know him? And then a maid comes in and says that Mina is dead on the lawn. Everyone runs out to go see Mina and the maid faints and Renfield is like a super creeper. And he (laughs) just like crawls over to her and it fades to black. Yes. And that is uh, very creepy because you don't know what he does to her. But there was apparently a scene filmed, which they kept in the Spanish version, (laughs) Which is he crawls over to her to find a fly on her cheek and he tries to get the fly and it flies away and he uh, cries about it. So I think what I think it was wise to keep it the way it is with the cut because it's scarier that way. Oh, yeah. And in this, you would think that at this point, for whatever reason, Renfield has escalated from eating flies and rats to killing people. Uh So fades to black. Mina's not dead. Mina also knows that something is going on with her. And at this point, she tells John to not touch her or kiss her, which I'm not too sure why she said, don't touch me or kiss me. Would he catch the vampire? I don't think so. Would it make her want to eat him? I think she just wanted him to leave to be safe, I guess. Yes. So she breaks it off with John and John's having none of that. So she gets up. She's wearing this beautiful dress. And on this dress, there's like a little bundle of stuff, which I figure is Wolfsbane. Her room is being prepped with all of this wolfsbane, also on the doors, just everywhere. Um, And John wants to take her to London. And here comes Renfield. He's creeping. He's left the hospital. And he talks about Dracula visiting him and um, bringing him like this insane amount of rats. And just like being like, this is the promise. You got to do what I need you to do. And he's telling everyone exactly what is happening. Meanwhile, they've left Mina in her room with this woman, um, this nurse. Uh-huh. By the way, that line of Renfield talking about the rats is another one of my favorite lines of his. Rats, 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 thousands, millions of them. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then so it turns out during this whole thing, he's a diversion. And so it cuts to Dracula creeping creeping and there's a standoff between him and van helsing van helsing now that you have learned what you have learned it would be well for you to return to your own country i prefer to remain and protect those whom you would destroy and he tries to hypnotize van helsing and he's like come here and van helsing's like okay and then van helsing (laughs) is like "Mm mm-mm backs off and dracula says to him your will is strong and van helsing pulls out a cross which makes dracula flee from there uh we get back to mina she's now open the windows is yelling about how much the wolfsbane smells and is horrible which now you know something's wrong with mina because she says that she can't deal with it so at this point now it's mina's turn to creep and she is looking at john like a tasty snack <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, turns out Dracula's turned Mina. So, um, Dracula shows up as a bat. 
John tries to shoo him away. <laughs> <laughs> Dracula. Oh. Um, the bat then is talking to Mina as John is trying to shoo him away telepathically. And so she's answering and John is just like, what? Huh? Like, what are you talking about? And uh, Mina tries, um, she's doing the bat's bidding at this point is like, can you get the cross away from Van Helsing? Tell Van Helsing to just put it away. I can't look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's got some real kooky eyes. She's got a real weird look in her face and she tries to attack John. But this happens off screen and you see Van Helsing run to it and you hear screaming because you hear John go, no. And then Van Helsing runs and you hear her scream. And then uh, Martin is just taking some shots at the bat. <laughs> Martin has a gun and he's uh, taking shots at this bat. Um, I put down um, Dracula hypnotized the maid, um, Briggs, and she just lets him in. She takes down the wolf's bane and everything and um, lets him in. And um, from here, he takes her to the Abbey. To the Abbey in West Hollywood? Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep. They're going just to um, just enjoying a night out. Um, oh, and Renfield escaped again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Renfield escapes again, uh, shows up to the Abbey, is um, Carfax, Carfax Abbey. Abbey, and goes up the stairs to meet Dracula. And turns out that John and uh, Van Helsing mm-hmm. have followed them, trying to rescue Mina. And Renfield is like, I didn't lead them here. This wasn't my doing. Dracula is super over it and murders him. Like, just chokes him out. Oh, no, don't. Don't kill me. Let me live, please. Punish me, torture me, but let me live. I can't die with all those lines on my conscience. All that blood on my hands. Ah! Ah! So here's where things I think were really sped up for time and not explained very well. I believe that um, one of the two dudes, John or Van Helsing, is like, the sun is coming up. Uh-huh. And uh, Dracula's like, I have to go to sleep now. <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> just goes to sleep. Well, if they say they have him trapped because he, they know he has to be in his uh, box of Earth before the sun's up. Yeah, but I mean, like, that's some impressive going to sleep time. Like, it's <laughs> not even like an hour. It is like seconds. Well, that's the thing. Like... There's other vampire things where they basically just have to be inside and they can be awake. And then there's stuff like Dracula, like the Universal movies, where as soon as it's time for bed, there's no waking them up again until... <laughs> no. Which which could be like it's just their corpse lying there, basically. Yeah, I guess During so. the day. And, and also earlier in the movie, it was explained that he had to bring his earth with him, which I think is just was a really great way to reuse that dungeon from the opening well no, that's always been a part of it though like those boxes are filled with the dirt yeah i know yeah but like the dungeons just look very similar yeah um well he mentions that that's why he likes carfax abbey and he's not going to repair it because it reminds him of his uh, castle in transylvania oh, i see i see okay oh yeah yeah because people are like oh you're gonna do so many repairs and he's like nope <laughs> 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 and they're like oh you're interesting um so um, Van Helsing at that point has like so much time on his hands and is like, go find me something to help him hit the stake into Dracula's heart. Right. And he makes the stake out of the lid of Dracula's coffin. So you'd figure that 
if anything's going to wake him up, it's going to be a lid being ripped off of his coffin and oh, being yeah. smashed to a million pieces. 100%. <laughs> and um, at one point, he opens up a second coffin and looks into it and then just looks at John and slowly closes it. And I thought that Mina was going to be in there or maybe the wives were all stuffed into one co- coffin. Well, they make it seem like that first time he opens it up that she was in there and mm-hmm. then the second time she's gone. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel like he looked into it, it was empty and he's just playing with them saying... I don't know. All right, that was weird. It was weird. And then uh, Mina's just like asleep in a corner somewhere, um, standing up, just kind of hypnotized. So John finds Mina, brings back a piece of metal or something for Van Helsing. And then you hear the sounds of Dracula being staked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mina wakes up or is like, you know, she's fine. She snapped out of it. Yep. And those sounds of Dracula being staked, uh, it was in the original version, and that was something that had to be cut out due to censorship. Uh, they thought it was too graphic hearing that gasp and moan of Dracula. So that audio was gone for a lot of the time and then put back in the movie for like home video release. So Mina's cured she's not a vampire van housing uh sends them out is they're like let's go and he's like no i have to stay here to finish up something what does he have to finish up we don't know they walk out church bells sunlight and this is still and then the end <laughs> literally the end they made a big deal about van housing having to stay back and then it was just like dun, 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 the end what <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what did he have to stay back for? What did he accomplish? Did Dracula not die? Does Van Helsing die? <laughs> it is a it is a confusing sort of ending, but there was a sequel to the movie in, released in 1936 called Dracula's Daughter that takes place the moment Dracula ends. Interesting. So I, I feel like base, that was not planned originally, yeah, though, in this movie. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and uh, Dracula's daughter has a bit of a story as to what it became, because Lugosi was supposed to be in it, but they eventually didn't use him. Mm-hmm. But basically, Van Helsing has to stay behind to dispose Dracula's body, mm. make sure he's dead again, can't be revived ever again, Okay, basically. Hmm. And I think when he is... Uh, Preparing to do that, a couple of policemen, uh, I guess, that were called by Dr. Seward or whoever, end up coming to Carfax Abbey and find him. And Van Helsing is arrested for the deaths of Dracula and Renfield. Oh, okay. But yeah, so that's the end of uh, Dracula. That's Dracula. So did you like the movie? I thought it was okay. There are elements to it that I really enjoyed. Um, I really liked Renfield. Mm-hmm. I liked Martin. I really liked whenever he was a bat. There were certain shots that I thought were done so well. Um, uh-huh. Or sets that I thought were beautiful. I think even at 75 minutes, it was still a little too long. Because it is very talky where there's just so much exposition. Mm-hmm. And my brain was like, oh, I think I'm done here. Uh, with certain parts and I think that's ridiculous because it is a good movie it's not a bad movie at all I just was like okay that's cool I do agree I think the beginning the first 10 minutes is great Mm -hmm. some of the best universal monster stuff and then it's uh not so great you know it's it's great when Dracula and Renfield are there but it is a bit talky and uh 
I will explain a little bit why that is as we go into the uh, production background. Want to hear a little history about Dracula? Sure. You know, the book was written in 1897. And do you know who wrote it? Bram Stoker. Bram Stoker, that's right. Did you know that before Bram, Bram Stoker's Stoker. Dracula, the uh, 92 movie? Um, You know what, 92, I was 10, so probably not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Bram Stoker claimed that the story came from him uh, in a dream. Uh, and he claimed that he had that bad dream because he had undercooked cracked crab for dinner. <laughs> but isn't it based like on a real person? Well, yes. Uh, it's inspired by Vlad the Impaler, uh, mostly, I think, in terms of using the name Dracula, because that was one of his uh, mm-hmm. aliases. Mm-hmm. So Vlad the Impaler is part of the inspiration for it and you know and lots of it was made up from bram stoker but his um claim that the story came from him in a dream i mean it could be true but he did do a lot of research in terms of lad the impaler or vampire lore and all that and there's lots of notes that exist of his research so hmm. uh the original title do you know what the original title of dracula was no it was called the undead Oh, I like Dracula better. (laughs) Yeah, and in uh, the book, Dracula had a long white mustache. I think he had long white hair, too. Really? He wasn't the uh, handsome Dracula that we all know from the Universal movie. Mm -hmm. So the book was really popular, and it had like you know a bunch of reprints, and naturally it would uh, turn into a movie. Um, The earliest known surviving version of the story is Nosferatu from 1922, a German film starring Mm -hmm. Max Schreck as Count Orlok. Isn't Max Schreck just such a great uh, monster name? Oh, monster (laughs) name? I thought more it was like... um a film critic or <laughs> really? like some sort of like futuristic like Max Hedrum and this is his friend Max Shrek. <laughs> yeah, so they uh you know, it's the story of Dracula, uh, but they didn't have uh the rights to do this and Bram Stoker's widow mm-hmm. she sued the filmmakers and all prints were meant to be destroyed, but uh one survived and uh that's how we're able to watch it today. Oh wow. And it's a great movie, and I'm sure we'll eventually get to that one on our show. How long is that one, do you think? Like 20 minutes? <laughs> no, no. It's it's probably just as long as this one, if not longer. But all silent. But all silent. Oh, yeah. gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. It's more like the book, though. So, eventually... Hamilton Dean brought Dracula to the stage over in Europe, Mm -hmm. and then an American producer named Horace Liverwright bought the rights uh, for the United States and brought it to America. And he hired a man named John Balderston to modernize it and to use more uh, more of a language that Americans would understand. Mm -hmm. And that's the version that the movie was based on. Originally, when they announced Dracula from the studio, they were going to base it more on the book. But this Broadway version, which was a huge success, would have been a lot easier and cheaper to film. So that's why it's so stagey, because it's based off of that stage play, which, you know, lots like you can't show 
lots of exteriors on a stage play. Like in the stage play, they show they just mention a wolf transforming it in the background. You, uh-huh. you never see it. Uh-huh. So that's what they did with the movie too. I honestly, uh, without you telling me that, would have just assumed that it was the shooting the movie style of the time. I mean, that's part of it too, but uh, yeah. it's it's a budget thing and all that. Mm-hmm. So Dracula came to uh, the stage. And in 1927, uh, it was in America, and that's when Bela Lugosi played Dracula. He got the job on the on the original Broadway version, and he claims to have played Dracula on the stage a thousand times. I don't know if that's true. Could be. Uh, maybe, maybe in his life that was true. I think he's quoted as saying that in the early 30s, though. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be true because that initial Broadway stage version in New York mm-hmm. uh, had 261 performances and it broke like all records. It was popular everywhere. And then they did a traveling show version that went all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, Lugosi was with the West Coast team. So he was doing it in California, in Hollywood. And that's when he ended up staying in Hollywood to do movies. Okay. Do you know where in Hollywood they performed it? Well, it premiered at the Biltmore Theater. Is that the Biltmore Hotel, though? I don't know. I was about to ask you. Uh, I don't think it's the same place. So then, of course, because it was such a popular show, a movie version was eventually going to be made. Mm -hmm. And Universal uh, got the rights. So Universal, as as you know, uh, is headed by Carl Lemley. Yes. And... He had a son, Carl Lemley Jr., and I believe on his 21st birthday, he was given the studio. He was became the president of the studio. Wow. And it was his idea to bring Dracula and other horror movies to the studio. No one else really wanted to do it or take a chance on movies like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one wanted Dracula, but Carl Lemley Jr. really wanted it. So he decided he wanted Todd Browning to be the director. Todd Browning, he is a famous director, most famous, you know, for Dracula, but he also directed The Unholy Three with Lon Chaney, okay. London After Midnight, the lost Lon Chaney film where he has the top hat and the sharp teeth. Mm-hmm. He also directed Mark of the Vampire, which is a remake of London After Midnight, starring Bela Lugosi as a character that looks like Dracula named Count Mora. In fact, I can't tell you how many times I see pictures of Count Mora and people say it's Dracula. <laughs> I know, you tell me every single time. I know. And he also <laughs> directed Freaks. We accept a one of us. We accept a one of us. Gooba gobble, gooba gobble. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> I will tell you right now, that is not a movie we will be watching for this Are you podcast. kidding? Freaks is I great. Not, no, I don't like it. Uh, I love Freaks. I won't, um, I won't watch it. But Todd Browning, you know, he, he uh, left... Uh, his family to join the circus and he was a circus performer and a clown and that's kind of how he got into this whole thing about circus freaks to make that movie he that was his life basically hmm. little fun fact about todd browning the director mm-hmm. of dracula um he is the voice of the policeman that finds the dead crew on Dracula, and he's the one that actually opens up the hatch to find Renfield down there. Oh. <laughs> What's that? Why? Come from that hatchway. Why, he's mad. Look at his eyes. So Carl Lemley Jr. wanted Todd Browning to be the director, and mm-hmm. you know, eventually he did become the director, but he wanted Todd Browning and Lon Chaney to play Dracula. Okay. Carl Lemley Sr. 
wanted a director from Germany named Paul Lenny to be the director with um, Conrad Veidt to play Dracula. Conrad Veidt was the main character in the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Okay. He was also in The Man Who Laughs, you know, with that Joker looking face. Oh, yeah. But um, he was in uh, Germany at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. So it looked like the favorite was going to be to have Lon Chaney play Dracula with Todd Browning directing. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, they had already made London After Midnight and The Unholy Three, they've already had this relationship. Well, Lon Chaney ended up uh, uh, dying in 1930, which is a year before Dracula came out. Okay. So Lon Chaney obviously couldn't be in the movie, so they had to decide who they were going to go with. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next step would obviously have been Carl Lemley Sr.'s choice, Conrad Veidt, but again, he was in Europe, in Germany, and he wasn't coming back to America anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So he was out. So then someone made the suggestion of having Bela Lugosi star in Dracula since he had done so many performances on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And producers passed on him because he wasn't a name. Okay. He was a name no one knew. So they thought they would use a guy named Ian Keith. I don't know too much about him, except that he was up for Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was considered, and around the time they were considering him, the producers thought, oh, we might as well bring Bela Lugosi in for a screen test and see how he does. And uh, he did great. They loved Lugosi. They hired him. And also, because he didn't have a name, they got away with paying him a lot less than they would a star. Oh, man. (laughs) So Lugosi became Dracula. And I think he got $500 a week for his part, which wasn't that good even back then. Yeah. So they got Bela Lugosi to star. Now, a little bit of a history on... Bela Lugosi, I just want to mention, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, he was born in 1882 in Lugos, Hungary, and he was born very close to where Dracula takes place. So, you know, it seems like he would be the perfect actor for the part, especially since he's had the experience of playing it a thousand times on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And, you know, doing that Broadway version, his version really changed what the Dracula character was, especially from the book, you know, being a he made him a, a romantic, uh, sensual, uh, vampirific creature. <laughs> is vampirific a word? Um, I guess so. <laughs> it is now. I guess so. So they have Lugosi. They have their actors. They're all set to make this movie. Yeah. Todd Browning ended up being the director. Mm-hmm. And the cinematographer of the movie was Carl Freund, who I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a German expressionist uh, cinematographer that did some great movies like Metropolis and The Golem. Oh, mm -hmm. and um, I've never seen either one, but I'm familiar. Yeah. And he uh, ended up directing The Mummy with Boris Karloff. Okay. Uh, I was like, mm? and then later in his life, <laughs> he was the cinematographer for I Love Lucy and invented the whole three camera system for uh, television sitcoms. This is a Ricky Ricardo production. I got wind of it. Wow. What a, what a great career. Yeah. So they filmed the movie and they decided at the same time, there's a Spanish version of the movie being filmed as well that we talked about throughout. Someone had the idea that for very cheap, they could make a Spanish version of the movie with different (laughs) actors. Mm -hmm. Um, It would basically be uh, the English crew would use the sets and make their movie during the day. And then the Spanish crew would come at night, use the same sets and 
you have the same schedule. So basically just piggybacking on the American crew. Yeah, can I say that I really genuinely, I knew that there were two versions of this movie and that it was shot, um, one was shot during the day, the other was shot at night. Uh-huh. Um, but I thought Bill Lugosi was Dracula in both versions and that he knows how to speak Spanish or was fed Spanish lines and just performed. So when you put that in, <laughs> I did not read. I was just reading the names, uh-huh. the character names and not the actor names. Uh-huh. And when Dracula came out, my mind was blown. I was like, <laughs> this is not Dracula. First of all, this guy kind of goofy looking. Kind of looks like Nicolas Cage. Kind of like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's a completely different cast, uh, but it's all in Spanish, and you know it, it it's technically a better movie. Uh, they do a lot more inventive things where, because you know it was again it was based on the stage play. It was almost shot like a stage play where cameras usually steady, not a lot of movement, uh-huh. where. In the Spanish version, they use lots of cranes and like the shot of Dracula being introduced in the Spanish version is just him standing on the steps, appearing out of nowhere. And then the camera pans up over the steps right up to him, Mm -hmm. where in the American version, it's just a long shot of Bela Lugosi walking down the steps. So there are some very inventive things about the Spanish version that are very good. Yeah. I read that they actually did a a preview of the Spanish version before the American one and people were so impressed with how it looked saying you know if this is the Spanish version the American one's going to be incredible and all that so they were, people were very impressed with it except for Spanish people it's like pe- the people in Mexico mm-hmm. they were not too happy because the actors that they chose were from many different countries. Mm-hmm. And as you know, there are different dialects of Spanish and different words being used. So it didn't make sense to them to have someone from Cuba talking to someone that's speaking uh, Spanish from Spain or from Mexico. Well, there is someone in it that um, I think it's Renfield has more of a Castilian Spanish mm-hmm. accent. And that's when I asked you, I was like, is this for Spain? And you were like, Mexico. And I'm like, really? I'm not, sure. I'm not sure if it's Mexico, actually. It might just be for any sort of Spanish-speaking country. Okay. But, yeah, there was no consistency with it, so... Yeah, I mean, Castilian Spanish and um, Latin American Spanish. I mean, while it's, like, very similar, there's also some distinctions. And then from country to country, yep. Yeah, so that's the Spanish version. I really like the Spanish version. Um, From the bits that we saw... I really enjoyed it as well. So yeah, back to the American version. Um, Jack Pierce, uh, the makeup man who created all the monsters for Universal Studios, mm-hmm. I consider the best makeup man of all time. He created the makeup for Dracula, but Lugosi wanted to apply his own makeup mm-hmm. because that's what stage actors did in the day, and that's what he believed. And there's still shots of Lugosi putting his makeup on. And this, the makeup is similar to what he wore on the stage it's basically the same except he's in in dracula he's wearing a a toupee just to make his hair a little bit thicker and add more of a widow's peak okay and i think he had like really dark circles under his eyes uh in the um stage version Mm -hmm. much more of a stage makeup because people on the way back had to see him you know Mm -hmm. so jack pierce i think designed 
a makeup for him to use and probably told him how to apply it, I would assume. And I think Lugosi applied that makeup that Jack Pierce created. Isn't so much a makeup. It's rather expression. So the movie was uh, completed and ready. And it was announced that the movie would open at the Roxy Theater in New York on February 13th, 1931. Mm -hmm. Right before Valentine's Day. Appropriate. So when Todd Browning found out that the movie was going to be released on February 13th, he put out an ad Uh, having it set to look like a telegram dated February 7th. And this is what it says. Okay. It says, Dear Roxy, don't blame me, but I was born superstitious. Stop. Just heard you are opening Dracula Friday. Stop. That bad enough, but Friday the 13th is terrible. Stop. I have put everything I have into this picture, and as a favor to me, can't you open your presentation Thursday? Stop. Best regards, Todd Browning. (laughs) So he was so superstitious, he didn't want the thing opened on the 13th. So they uh, pushed it back and they opened it on the 12th. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. Or pushed it forward, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it opened uh, February 12th, 1931. Mm -hmm. And it did great. It basically saved the studio. You know, the studio, it did have All Quiet on the Western Front, which won Best Picture the year before. Mm -hmm. Um, But they weren't the most successful studio. But the horror movies really uh, sort of saved the studio, and it all started with Dracula. Oh. <laughs> Did you just Walt Disney? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so also, with the making of Dracula, there's a rumor that Lugosi didn't speak English at the time mm-hmm. of Dracula being filmed, and he learned it all phonetically. Uh, that's not true, though. He had learned English by that point. I know how to say okay and cats. I think it's pretty obvious that he knows English in the movie. What do you think? I didn't think that he didn't know English, but I wouldn't be surprised if you say he didn't know English. Um, (laughs) But it's just because I think it's because Dracula's cadence is so deliberate. Right. He has that very slow way of speaking, which... Sort of like he's hypnotizing someone. Yeah. I have chartered a ship to take us to England. We will be leaving tomorrow evening. And I think that's partly where the rumor started. But no, he knew English at the time. And there's a really funny interview with him from, I think, it was either 1931 or 1932, where... <laughs> Uh, it's kind of a staged interview, but it's really funny. It's great. And he knows English like pretty much perfectly by that point. Okay. So, you know, Bela Lugosi obviously became synonymous with Dracula. Uh, he was always living in the shadow of Dracula, which he uh, he loved Dracula when he was doing it, you know, on the stage and in the movie. But it, he, I think he felt it sort of hurt his career being typecast. Doesn't Dracula ever end for you? No, no. Dracula never ends. I don't know whether I shall call it a fortune or a cause, but it never ends. Well, you know, some people, Bella, would consider that a curse, and some would consider it a very good omen, because probably as a result of Dracula, you I make a living. Well, and you were typecast, you know. (laughs) You've you've made many other pictures of its type, vampire pictures and, 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 and mystery pictures and things of that sort. But at the same time, I know you are always yearning, as all actors are, to do a different type of stage vehicle. What would you like to do, the romantic 
the... No, I would uh, prefer to play comedy. Well, he did it so many times on the stage, but you know, he's only played Dracula in the movies twice. The first time was Dracula. Do you know the second time? Was it Abbott and Costello mean meet Dracula or something? Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Oh. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was the he only played dracula twice and even that time his agent at the time uh went to the studio and said you need to make him dracula he saved the studio and you guys like haven't been fair to him you barely paid him anything for the first movie mm-hmm. and i think the executives at the time said uh we, we didn't even know he's alive still <laughs> oh i know that hurts so sad uh but you know so he had to audition and you know wasn't given the part initially but he eventually got the part of dracula in abbott costello meet frankenstein and i think he's great in that too nice. um he has played lots of other vampires and dracula like characters mm-hmm. like in mark of the vampire he plays uh, count mora which is basically dracula and then at the end you find out he is uh, an actor playing the part okay. or there's a movie called return of the vampire where he's a vampire it looks like dracula because it's bill lugosi but uh, it's not in fact dracula hmm uh, he later went on to be in the Ed Wood movies, which was brilliantly portrayed in uh, Tim Burton's version, Ed Wood, by oh. Martin Landau. So good. He's so good. Wait! Pull the string! Pull the string! Cut. That uh, movie takes liberties, but Bela Lugosi, he ended up dying in 1956. Mm-hmm. And did you know he was buried in his Dracula cape? I, mm, no, I did not. I'm, why am I not surprised by this news? Like well, this tracks. Well, there, there is a somewhat famous photo. There's actually a photo of him in the coffin wearing the Dracula cape uh, at his funeral. I'm, mm-hmm. not sure, I'm not sure who took the photo. Hmm. But, uh. Newspaper he, people. There's a rumor that he requested to be buried in the Cape, but from what I heard, it was his family, his son, mostly Bela Jr., mm-hmm. who uh, insisted that he be buried in the Cape. So Bela Lugosi, he created a Dracula that, you know, everyone is familiar with. When kids dress up as Dracula on Halloween, who are they looking like? He's my number one pick. Like, immediately when I think of Dracula, I think of him. Exactly. You can't disassociate Bela Lugosi and Dracula and Dracula with Bela Lugosi. Mm-hmm. So if you remember, remember I told you earlier there was a deleted ending for the movie. Yes. So in the stage play, the actor either playing Dracula or Van Helsing would come out and he would talk about how there are such things in real life as vampires and all that and just kind of give like a little scary afterthought so there initially after dracula ended the film you would see them walking up the stairs and you would just hear someone say wait and then it would cut to sort of a uh, a blank movie screen and edward van sloan who played professor van helsing would walk out And he would say, please, one moment. And he looks out into the audience and he says with a smile, just a word before you go. We hope the memories of Dracula won't give you bad dreams. So just a word of reassurance. When you get home tonight and the lights have been turned out and you're afraid to look behind the curtains and you dread to see a face appear at the window, why, just pull yourselves together and remember that after all, there are such things. And then it would fade out. So. Oh, okay. 
I don't know if that would have been any better. It wouldn't have been better to the story of Dracula, but it just was a fun little add-on. Which yeah. is funny, because they did the same thing at the beginning of Frankenstein, That's remember? exactly what I thought of was yeah. the beginning of Frankenstein, and I think it would have really... And it's the same actor. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I think that would have been really great. Um, yeah, Edward Van Sloan, who... Uh, played Van Helsing he went on to be in Frankenstein and the mummy and the mummy is very similar to Dracula the did story. they put old man makeup on him they did he was uh in his late 40s at the time okay uh he had some old man makeup he's the same age as Lugosi actually oh man um <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah Dwight Fry is the other actor I just want to mention real quick he went on to be in a bunch of horror movies he was fritz and frankenstein frankenstein's assistant he was also in bride of frankenstein as carl uh one of dr pretorius's helpers in fact he had a Is much he just an assistant no basically he had a much bigger role in bride of frankenstein that got cut out um and then in a movie called the vampire bet where he uh played a suspected killer and it was very much a renfield type role well, he does it just so well. Yeah, he plays crazy so well. He really does. And then he was in a bunch of Frankenstein sequels, at, just as random villagers. The last one being Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. And he died in 1943, only uh, 12 years after Dracula. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so soon. Yeah, so that's the making of Dracula. Uh, the only other thing I, I wanted to add is, you know, as I told you before, the movie didn't have a music score because it wasn't something that was commonplace back mm-hmm. in 1931. But in 1999, Universal hired Philip Glass to make a score for the movie. So when you get the DVD or the Blu-ray, that's an option to watch the movie with a score. Oh, we might have to do that. It's classical music. It's beautiful. It's great. But you don't get the eeriness anymore of those weird silent scenes. Mm. Uh, So I I prefer the silent version. (laughs) I will say the um, opening with, is it like Swan Lake that's playing? Uh Um, I always forget that is the song that is being used. The music that's being used is the music from Swan Lake. Yeah. And uh, they use that same music for uh, The Mummy also. Yeah, so that is the story of Dracula. Thank you so much for listening to Pods and Monsters. Inthia, where can they find us? You can find us on Instagram at Pods and Monsters Podcast and on Facebook and Twitter at Pods and Monsters. Please subscribe, like, and review us. Be on the lookout for more episodes of Pods and Monsters, and we will have many monsters to share and production backgrounds and movie reviews and all sorts of things. If you have any suggestions, tweet at us. Drop us a line. Yeah, what movie should we watch? What should we talk about? We have so many to watch, but we would love some suggestions. Yeah. Because there's just so many. But yeah, what will we do next? We don't know yet, but we're going to do it. So excited. So for Pods and Monsters, this is Robert. This is Anthea. And we hope you have a dreadfully eerie night. (laughs) Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye. And now I'll leave you. Good night.